Hey folks, welcome to the Sloppy Boys Blowout. I'm Mike Hanford. I'm here with Tim Kalpakis. Oh, gobble, gobble. And you know Jeff Dutton. <laughs> wow. Real turkey. That was pretty good. Uh, come on, it's the blowout. We get a little nuts around here. Sure, you might hear a very realistic turkey sound. You're not going to hear that on the main pod. We're not allowed. You're not going to hear that shit on WTF. Nope, you're hearing that all on the Sloppy Boys Blowout. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> your, your, your bee and blood sounded like another turkey gobble. It kind of was. A turkey popped in just for that bee part. <laughs> Whoa, hey. Folks, it's Thanksgiving. Hey. You're going to have some fun. I'd imagine you're going to eat a, hurt, uh, a whole turkey tomorrow. Yeah, um, but on, we're having fun, but careful with the tryptophan. Yeah. Oh, jeez. It'll bring you down. You're going to be driving a 16-wheeler. See, you don't like it. I want... If I look at someone's plate and I see they scraped off all the tryptophan, I'm like, hey, <laughs> send that over to the J-Man over here. All the, all the rest of the turkey, but left out that one chemical. Because, you know, kids these days are like, I'm allergic to tryptophan. <laughs> oh, I'm so sick of that. I'm jumping on board with every allergy. Could Do they sell tryptophan as like a sleep aid? They should. I looked up uh, tryptophan one time, and I, it's one of those things where like you have to eat ten full turkeys <laughs> for it to really knock you out, which I sometimes do. Are you guys drinking anything over there? Me right now, I just cracked open an Angry Orchard cider, which I don't know if I like these or not, but I have them left over from mm. when I made that Fireball cider ah, yes. as, as an experiment. Yeah, it's pretty good. Is it dry? Because I feel like I've had ciders that are that say like we're the dry cider, and I like those. And then kind of all the other ones I don't like. I wish it were drier. I like dry. This is a little bit sweet. It tastes kind of like a soda. Damn, good. I feel bad for you over there drinking that wet ass it's, cider. It's really sad. I got an old reliable Miller Lite. Look at that beautiful can light. Um, I was thinking about those when uh, when we old watched school. the Big Lebowski. Because that's they drink them out of those little Miller Miller Light cups. But did you guys know? I keep flapping my trap about this one podcast I listened to one time, <laughs> Business Wars, <laughs> about Bud versus Miller. But Miller acquired a company called Light that made like light beer, and they just never stamped their name on the can. So that's oh. why it looks that way. It's kind of a throwback can to the original Light it's, brand beer. It's the white can that just says Light on the top. A fine Pilsner beer, sure. You guys are probably thinking, hey, Tim has a tank top that says light beer on it. And, and you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's yeah. Got I, was, me. I was thinking that. Got you thinking. Are you guys prepping anything for tomorrow, the big day? Let's see. I'm, uh... Now, Mike, I know that you are probably chopping up pickles Ooh. for a little mashed potato surprise. Okay. The secret's out. I do some mashed potatoes with pickle chunks in it. <laughs> <laughs> you make it sound so appetizing. And you, Chunks, you invented this dish, correct? Yeah, well, I made some mashed potatoes one Thanksgiving. We were doing a Friendsgiving out there in L.A. And uh, I made mashed potatoes. I think I think someone else was making like 
Maybe two of us were making mashed potatoes. Normal. Tr- traditional. <laughs> Normal edible food. Yeah, and I decided to do something a little different. So I put made mashed <laughs> potatoes, which I enjoy doing. I like mashed potatoes. Put a bunch of butter in it uh, and uh, sour cream. Add a little some salt. And then I said, you know what? I got some pickle spears, some Vlasic dill pickle spears. Kosher. Yeah. I'm going to cut them down the middle long way and then cut them, turn them to the side, cut those up, put some uh, pickle pickle bits because people i didn't know that people did that they don't that was the first time nobody I saw does <laughs> they don't and i thought this was another one of him <laughs> i thought this was another one of hanford's harebrained schemes it's fantastic i love it i love it so much <laughs> damn i uh I, you know people my mom puts pickles in potato salad which is nice and cold and crispy sure. the hot something about a hot pickle sounds strange to me hanford Hot, the pickle itself gets warm, right? Well, Tim, we're going to hold you down. You're going to take a big old bite. <laughs> if you're eating just a warm pickle on its own, yeah, that's probably not so great. But uh, this is great. And this is, yeah, Jeff, no one was doing this before. I didn't, I just, uh, this was like, I'm holding a can of, a jar of pickles in one hand and looking at the potatoes. I said, these can go together. Mike, I got to give you credit where credit is due. That is a, <laughs> get that on a Rachel Ray. Is she still alive? Uh, Bring her back from the dead, man, for this. It's good enough. I think, Mike, you also invented a dish called Raiko Chai Chi, rice, corn, chicken, and cheese. Right. And uh, we've discussed how uh, you like to put jalapenos on your popcorn at the movie theater. Mm. If you had to choose between which one of these inventions is the one that you want to to be your legacy? Oh. Mm. The, the popcorn is not – I saw other people doing that. So that's not me. I just saw, and they have them at the theater right. for you. So it's between the Rico and the pickle yeah. potato. The Rico chai chi, it's a full meal. It's you cut, a, you know, chicken breast into some strips, cubes, start frying that up, then put rice in with that, start mixing that all up, cooking it, put um, corn in that. And then just put uh, shredded cheese, usually cheddar cheese, all over the whole thing. It's all mixed up. So that's a full meal. I think um, tomorrow we're going to be seeing a little less turkey and a little more Rico Chichi on tables across America. <laughs> no turkey for anyone. Mom, what the hell are you doing, you fucking idiot? This is Rico Chichi. <laughs> you fucking... This is no hey, good. Shut up, you little bitch kid. <laughs> Jesus. I heard it about it on Sloppy Boys. <laughs> yeah, well, you want to shove that Sloppy Boy show up your ass. Mom, you want to, what are you doing? <laughs> Raiko Chichi, I just remembered that. Remember, you, you had mentioned Raiko Chichi to my brother. My brother's a real uh, good cook who's worked in restaurants and stuff. And he won, he made Raiko Chichi and he texted us a picture. Yeah. And it was so funny to see. I don't think he had ever seen yours, but uh-huh. you told him the recipe. And I had seen yours. So to see my brother's where it was like, a beautiful top-down photo that looked like it was the cover of Bon Appetit magazine, you know, like on a nice bowl and it was like garnished. Yeah. I think he did some extra steps too to make it like, you know, that much better. I think he cooked the chicken all the way through. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, that's, that's been a problem for me in the past. You like to take a bite of a... a Medium rare chicken. A nice purple bone in there. Um. Yeah, I I, uh, I have trouble cooking chai. Still do. I, I cannot get it all the way through. That's why I, probably why Raiko Chai Chi exists because I was cutting them up into small pieces where I know they would yeah. get cooked. It sucks cooking chicken on the bone. If you go to a barbecue and uh, if someone's grilling and they're not like a grill master, mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, I got some chicken. We're going to do barbecue chicken. You're like, there's no way 
Like this takes an hour to cook. And yeah. It's going to fuck it up. It yeah. Sucks. And that's what I push them aside and say, step off. <laughs> Let me take it from here. You knock the grill over. <laughs> Shut this down. Shut down. We're not eating anything. I've got a Thanksgiving question for you guys. Here's my Thanksgiving question. Wait, can I can is, I get one more recipe out? Absolutely. Like this, is a, this is a serious recipe I do every year. Yeah, Folks, dude. Oh, I love this. You get cream cheese. You get extra sharp spreadable cheese. I think the brand that we have in California is Calcana or something like that. Oh, yeah. I know that stuff. You mix it together, equal parts. You chop up a jalapeno. Seeds and all. Seeds especially if you want it spicy. Oh, pick know, it off a Hanford's popcorn and chop it up. <laughs> If you get a couple kernels in there, that's fine. And then you uh, you whip it up with a fork and you let it sit in the fridge overnight. And then the next day you serve it with some like pretzel rods or some um, bugles. bugles. That's, bugles. that's your go-to. Oh, boy. Thanks to my Aunt Diana for turning me on to it. I, when I've done Thanksgivings with you, Jeff, I hover around that thing all night long. It's so good. I, I eat way too much of it every year. And I say, don't fill up on dips, but I secretly hope everyone does. <laughs> and then when people are like, I didn't eat any turkey, you say, well, then I guess my work here is done. <laughs> then I get to eat all of it, including the bones. See you next year. <laughs> <laughs> Where did he go? We liked his dip. <laughs> I love that dish. It's a good pub cheese. And then the, the bugles. It's great to find a use for a thing, right? And we all see bugles all the time. We all know bugles, but you're not buying and eating bugles. Right. But one time a year... It's it's fun to dip that little trumpety chip in there. And it, do you guys follow the Instagram uh, '70s dinner party? They've I got know, a I've lot. Of, I've seen them. No. people post about. It. It's very funny. It's all like Betty Crocker kind of like dishes that are very outdated. It's a lot of things where it's like an olive is the eyes, and you. you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's yeah. also their old pictures too. So the olive color is gross. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's like weird fruit salads and jellos. It's like lunch meats that look very pink. <laughs> and all the photography is very gray. But yeah, you're, that dish, it has the that the the charm of that and the bugles are this chip that no one's talking about bugles. Everyone is walking around talking about pop chips all day. Is it even a chip, the bugle? My God. Oh, um, you know what the, the best thing is? I don't know if they still say this, but on the bag, <laughs> the tagline for bugles is the crunchy little... <laughs> <laughs> the crunchy little horn that tastes like corn. <laughs> I saw it and I fucking laughed my ass off. That's perfect. It's of all the other horns. Those it, other horns you see don't taste like corn. It's like I set out bugles and like one of you guys came up with that. <laughs> like, yeah. And then the actual bugle company does it to say it. And then kept it on their bag all these years. It's like uh, one time me and Mike were waiting in the checkout line at uh, Ralph's and uh, I put some rice on the on the conveyor belt and Mike pumped his eyebrows and said, exotic rices at low, low prices. <laughs> <laughs> I I remember that when we were at um, a thing that would always come up was the, you guys know this better, uh, so I'm going to ask you to do it, but the uh, gizzards thing. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh it was like prepackaged chicken and it was like foster farms or whatever. Hearts and gizzards, and then in parentheses in small text it said mostly gizzards. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a sub headline. Hey, hearts and gizzards, but if we're gonna be honest. <laughs> mostly gizzards. We're sorry. I mean look, it's not gonna be all hearts. You know we're not gonna lie to you. It's mostly gizzards. Which you'll probably use for your uh turkeys tomorrow. 
in True. the crevice. They could have just said, uh, 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 you know, gizzards with hearts or something like that. But to just put them both and then be like, look, we got to fess up. You know, those words right above here. <laughs> they were lying. You may have been misled. Mostly gizzards. Oh, okay. Okay. So, there's hey, there's hearts in there. There's at least two because that's plural. Now, with Turkey Day upon us, I wanted to ask you guys, what what is your plan for your beverage consumption on Turkey Day? You got a big feast. There are a lot of autumnal drinks. There's also any drink you like. But do you have a specific drink you like to drink with your turkey dinner? Oh, I will go for a wine, usually a white wine. Oh, poultry and white wine. Pair I, I enjoy well that. But on the day when it's kind of snacking time, I'm look. I feel like a broken record. This is always my answer. I'm doing a beer. Yeah, I like I a feel beer. Like this is when you get a lot of fat tires or some something with some body. Yeah, yeah. But you got too much body, then you're full. That's my thing. <laughs> but the whole day, the whole day is hey, I'm doing it all full. I feel like we did so many friendsgivings out here where. It just turned into like an eight-hour party. Yeah. Yeah. You start drinking in the afternoon, and then we would drink all throughout the meal, and then we'd go see like a Harry Potter. Yeah, whatever the new movie was. I like that second meal better than the first one. You know, when you're just kind of pick, you go into the kitchen and you, yeah. you kind of tiptoe into the kitchen when no one's looking, and you say, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like to start off with a nice, crisp, cold Bud Light, but I do always get my stomach too full. And then it's like the only time I ever drink whiskey neat. You know, like just mm. just no rocks even and just a strong whiskey because I have no real estate in my stomach, but I still want to be drunk and I'm trying to push <laughs> any alcohol. It, it's sort of like it like just marinades the food that's in my stomach yeah. and it seeps in. Oof. You know, the uh, the Thanksgiving dinner is a lot like the Raiko Chaichi where your, mix, your plate is so full, you're mixing it all together there. You're not getting... Oh, I'll have a little bit of this, and it's you kind of run the whole fork across the plate and pick up whatever's on <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, what's that song that's like? Little bit of this, little <laughs> bit of that. I think it's this Thanksgiving song by yeah. Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Thanksgiving food is so uh, was it homogenous? Like they all have it's all just like starchy, warm, buttery. It's a beige plate. Yeah, it's a big old beige. Hey, what about the green bean? Oh. I take it all back. Mike, you got me. What about those little French's fried onions on top? They're beige. Yeah, I'd say the probably the mushroom cream is closer to the beige. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Thank you for making a complete fool of me. I always do Thanksgiving with Jessica's family, and there were some years. It was, uh, we usually like go out to a, a hotel buffet, and when they lived up in the Bay Area, I remember going to – we went to some – like the fancy hotel, really old hotel in San Francisco, the Palace, and – they have, you know, like hotel buffets, they'll do that thing where they have like the main thing, but then it's a hotel buffet. So there's also like an omelet station and all this other oh, yeah. stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and they were, Jessica's family were like, yeah, let's go and we'll, and we'll eat turkey. And they just all ate the normal stuff. But I was so dazzled by a fancy buffet uh, that I was like, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. eat all stuff. And, and they were laughing at me, at me like plate over plate. I got like a whole plate of caviar, like all the different plates of caviar <laughs> with the little pancakes and the sour cream. And I ate that. And then I went back and I got a whole sushi plate. Yeah, man. <laughs> and I did all this stuff. And then I got full and I, did, I, didn't, I, got, I didn't eat any turkey because I was too full. And I was sad like leaving there being like, I didn't get to any of this stuff. <laughs> I was full of caviar. 
And it's not like you're never going to do like another turkey dinner between that Thanksgiving and the next one. It would be pretty funny if it was just a random night in May and you stuffed a turkey and roasted it. (laughs) Hey, weirder things have happened, Tim. But here's what I like to do every Thanksgiving, and this really is a tradition for me. I watch this film, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, every year. No shit. Really? It's one uh, of the rare Thanksgiving movies. Yeah, and I for, I had forgotten it even is a Thanksgiving movie. And then sometimes I'll watch around Christmas and say, oh, got to watch it earlier. So now I do. But are there any other Thanksgiving movies? I bet there's like, I bet there are. I bet there's some like romantic comedies that take place. Oh, that like that one, um, you, me, and the turkey bird um, <laughs> in love. Guess who's coming over this Thursday? A turkey. So today... <laughs> We are talking about Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. This is a John Hughes written and directed movie. You know him from Ferris Bueller. You know him from 16 Candles. He's the Home Alone writer himself. Uh, Made in 1987. Here's the synopsis from Apple. Neil Page is an advertising executive who just wants to fly home to Chicago and spend Thanksgiving with his family. But all Neil Page gets is misery. Misery named Del Griffith. A loudmouth but nevertheless lovable salesman who leads Neil on a cross-country wild goose chase that keeps Neil from tasting his turkey. Steve Martin, Neil, and John Candy, Dell, are absolutely wonderful as two guys with a knack for making the worst of a bad situation. If it's painful, funny, or just plain crazy, it happens to Neil and Dell in planes, trains, and automobiles. Every traveler's nightmare in a comedy come true. This is... Uh, an insane <laughs> synopsis. Yeah. yeah, they said Neil Page twice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they don't go cross-country. They they travel a little bit from Wichita. They Okay, they go from New York to Wichita to Chicago. Yeah. I'll give them that. Cross-country. Half cross-country. I mean, the, some, some of the country is crossed. Yes. They are in the country sometimes. They make this movie sound like it's this wild madcap... Uh, like one after the other, these crazy situations. I don't think anything gets insane crazy in this movie. Yeah. That blurb reminds me, one of my favorite blurbs ever was talking about, you remember, there was like a kid's movie starring Ice Cube. Oh. Uh, Not RV. Uh, are we there yet? Yeah. Yeah. And it said, the the blurb said, uh, Ice Cube delivers smiles for miles. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is also like, it keeps Neil from tasting his turkey. I don't think he ever really talks about eating at all, his turkey. He doesn't seem like a guy who likes to eat. He doesn't even seem like, his relationship with his family doesn't seem like anything. Like uh, He's in love with his job. But even that, he doesn't even seem like he's such a like work... He does definitely want to go home. He's not like a hardworking like, maniac. He's a sourpuss. It's weird. And Del Griffith doesn't get in the way of his tasting turkey. Del's trying to help him the whole movie. He's not, he's not like right. an obstacle. Yeah. He's being annoying and he's he's driving Steve Martin crazy, but they're not he's not he's not stopping the trip from happening. Right. Um so wait, Mike, you've seen this a few times over the years, right? I have never seen it. You have never seen it and then Jeff, you've never seen it either? I had never seen it. Oh my god. Unbelievable. Two noobs 
So then, so what do you, uh, your perception of it just was like the poster or did you, did you have yeah, any? The two, the two of them leaning against each other on sitting on the trunk. I think that my perception of the movie was that it was going to be like pretty comedically soft. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I feel like this movie is a lot like Christmas Vacation where if you grew up with it, oh boy, is it hilarious. Mm. If you're just seeing it for the first time as like a teenager or later in life, you're like, I do not get wh- why this has, is so beloved. And that's how you felt watching it just now was... Uh, well, I will say it grew on me by the All end. Right. Because... I would say first half of the movie, I was like, this is a, such a softball. This is great that you guys are both in fresh because I, I like... Um, I went to a screening of this at the New Beverly one time. It was a double feature with uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off and mm. uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles because it was both John Hughes movies. And they had the editor there to talk. And I and he was one of these guys, much like how Bob Gale loves to talk about writing Back to the Future, the editor of this movie had a really good memory and was really indulging the nerds. So I did learn a lot about it and I read an interview on, that I found online with him. So I, I, I'm curious to hear what you guys thought seeing all this stuff fresh because it's one for me that I watched it in different contexts and like learned some of the behind the scenes stuff and then said, oh, that's what the fuck is going on I, there. I have some questions for you because, well, well, let's kind of skip through the beginning here. We got the workaholic Neil Page, who is, is earnestly trying to get home, misses his flight. John Candy like accidentally steals his cab that's a great intro when john can like meeting that character for the first time his look in the cab he's like (gasps) (laughs) and you just barely see him it's such a little shot and then they run into each other again at the airport their flight uh, to the first leg or whatever gets canceled and they got to take a train before you know it they're sharing a hotel (laughs) together john candy is like a chit chat guy he he talks a lot he's he's big he's like leaving uh junk all over the place he eats a lot he's leaving wrappers everywhere he's kind of the opposite it's an odd couple it's an odd couple to be it's true but they didn't make him like a farley no you you know like that's where i was kind of looking for their first fight they make reference to that he spilled beer all over the bed i don't think we saw that no we did not see that he took but that is so funny that he spilled beer he's sleeping in it now steve martin's sleeping in it guess what is that uh, a deleted scene? You have found your first deleted scene. Yeah. You know that it's like a it's like a sex bed, right? It's like a coin operated vibrating bed. Right. There's a scene where uh, John Candy puts a six pack of beer cans on the bed next to him and then he vibrates them up too much and they shoot beer into the air and all over the bed and then the Steve Martin's like, let's just go to bed and yeah. I mean, that sounds like some good hijinks we could have used early on. Yeah, I think uh, you know y- you want to see that. that's a that's a, that's a set piece, you know. It seems like yeah, they took all the wacky stuff out then because it's it's a pretty muted movie. And then when they're fighting, like Steve Martin keeps saying when in the first fight in that hotel room, he's like, "You're so annoying with all these stories that don't go anywhere." <laughs> and and I was like, "This is not the guy that we've met for the last fifteen right. minutes." Like, all he was talking about was how, like, blabbermouth he is and being like, I'd rather spend my time in an insurance seminar. You're like a chatty Kathy doll. <laughs> and then John Kane's like, well, maybe I talk a little too much, but I'm honest and I listen. But what? You talk too much. <laughs> Although I did like when they make up and they go to bed in the same bed and they <laughs> they wake up 
kind of spooning each other. Mm-hmm. And John Candy gives Steve Martin a little kiss on the ear. <laughs> why you kiss my ear? Hey, why you hold my hand? Where's your other hand? Well, it's between two pillows. Those aren't pillows. <laughs> that's, that was the first real laugh it got out of me. Then that's like they, the that's like the scene that I've seen. Like when people talk about the service reference on TV, that's like the scene <laughs> in his ass or the driving one. The way that they will get up and walk around. This is like classic gay panic type yes. of comedy where you're like, it's it's a in 1986 or whatever. It's like it was a joke that two guys could even spoon but the way when they get up and they, they start talking about sports <laughs> well, well first they're like ew, ew, and and uh steve martin's like doing like a chicken walk like Ooh. and then yeah hey how about those bears hell of a game hell of a team and yeah, it's like yeah. that's such tim allen humor of like oh, i know me man um <laughs> neil campbell and uh alan mcleod did a sketch at ucb that was a parody of that scene where they just they they kept like, you know, eventually they were like fucking each other and then realizing that they were and be like, oh, 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 the bears, the bears, the hell of a team. <laughs> That's why I remember that sketch, but I didn't get it because I didn't know what was this was going on here. Yeah, I remember you. You were lost. That's also a funny thing to be like, where's your other hand? It's between two pillows. What are you talking about? <laughs> two cheek like pillows with a butthole in the middle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that keeps blasting hot air onto me. <laughs> Well, so that scene you mentioned with um, with uh, John Candy when he's like, maybe I do talk too much, but, th- but I'll tell you what, I'm the real article and I like me and, and, and my wife loves me. And, and, you know, he gives that little speech there and then mm-hmm. the serious music comes on. I think a thing that I didn't know when I had been watching this movie for years is that this is like an important movie for John Candy. Like that scene is proving this. This is like his... This is like seeing a cool guy in a movie. You know, like he had been on SCTV. He was a Toronto cool comedian. And then he had played little parts popping up in uh, National Lampoon's Poon's Vacation and Blues Brothers, stuff like that. But him being on the billboard in this movie, he's like a hip guy. It's like the equivalent of you go to a movie and one of the stars is Tim Robinson or something like that, where it's like you took Mm. the cool comedy guy and now he's one of the stars. And I... And I think that that scene is is cited like in the biography of John Candy. They're like, that was the scene that proved that now this guy can be Uncle Buck. He can do everything. He's a ah. star. It's smart because it encapsulates like, this is the type of guy that this guy is. He's a mm-hmm. good natured, big goofball. Mm-hmm. Right. But then at the same time, isn't it weird that Steve Martin, who the world like seven years earlier, the whole world loved as the world's biggest goofball with an arrow on his head. He's kind of playing like a frustrated guy. Yeah. And and then he did a lot more of that, like later on, you know, as like a guy that would throw a little fit. Yeah. Like a, like a pretty square uptight guy, which is where, yeah, the guy that played the jerk to then be the one that's like, I am an PR executive. Okay. Yeah. There, there was, there was a scene right before they go to bed where Steve Martin takes a shower uh, after his long travel day. First of all, that's really funny how the how ugly, uh, disgusting the bathroom is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All this, like the wet towels, and there's like a newspaper on the floor. But Steve Martin does the thing that people do in movies that I've never done in real life, where they're having a tough time and they're in the shower. The uh, shower head is facing them and they've got one arm up against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Mike, if you really want to get into it, I don't understand how you shower, dude. <laughs> Maria and I have both said, what does he do with that shower head? Because we, if you, you see a shower after Hanford uses it, this guy cocks it straight forward. 
and then you stand as far away as you can. Like, where are you standing in that thing? I'm standing in the shower. I don't know what you're talking about. You, you stand under it, and it comes. The water comes down. You shoot it like forward, and you, you're like, where are you? Are you just standing at the way lip of the shower? <laughs> I guess so. I'm just. I don't. I let it. Uh, you let it hit I, the top of your head. You'll have to jump in there with me sometime. <laughs> Do you wait? Serious question. Do you move the shower head as part of your shower? Uh, no. Man. Yes, I, I guess I do. That's the most confusing answer you could have given me. Which way are you guys facing? Because I spend most of my shower with my back to the shower head. Me? Yes. That's the same way. Yes. Okay, there you go. All right, at least we can agree on that. Moving on. <laughs> we found common ground. We ironed out our problems. So there's some fiasco here that I don't think is worth parsing out, other than to say that it's confusing. The switching of the credit cards and the thieving of the wallets. They set this thing up that doesn't come into, that doesn't pay off for like many, many scenes. Dutton, you have found your second deleted scene. Jeez. I knew it. Uh, both, actually two, uh, something that kind of more credit card bullshit that was very cuttable, but then also the kid that steals, that sneaks into the hotel room and like steals out of the wallet is a kid that they've met in the previous scene and that scene got cut. Ah, and did he steal both of their, did he steal both of their monies? He, yeah, he took the cash out of both of their wallets. Okay. Did we see that or we just, we saw one and we got to infer the other? I think we saw one and we got to infer the other. See, that fucking annoys me because it was like they switched credit cards. So one guy thinks he's getting his money stolen, but in fact, it's the other guys. And they were like, no, they only took the cash and the credit cards are still there. And we're going to leave yeah. this beat alone for 40 minutes. <laughs> and why mess with like in movies when money is the motivator? I really don't think it ever works. And if I'm ever writing a script and I catch myself being like, we got to get the $53 so that we could buy the thing. You know, you're doing bad writing when you're it's just like about money amounts of money but it really just doesn't in this movie that they try to be like the credit card this happens to the credit cards and this happens to the cash it's like i don't care do one do one do none just be funny <laughs> i don't care oh boy yeah it was a lot of like keeping up with that the money stuff and also like where they were and how long it was going to take to get to different places and it seems impossibly difficult and like convoluted. It like, seems I know like that trying... shouldn't take three days to drive to to get back to Chicago from Wichita, too. Well, they run into some obstacles along the way, of course. That's true. <laughs> I mean, anytime these these guys go from bad to worse at every turn. Yeah, I wanted this. I didn't want to blow the lid off this uh, thing before we got into it, but I think we're deep enough in that I could tell you is. What we're looking at here is, is is a mess of a movie that was saved in the edit. I mean, maybe you don't think it's saved. Maybe you think it's a bad movie. But of course, an editor is going to say that. Well, the first thing that the editor said at this thing was that while he was editing Ferris Bueller, the uh, then the one morning in the editing bay, uh, John Hughes came in like all exhausted. He's like, oh, I didn't sleep last night. I uh, I wrote 60 pages of my new movie. I got an idea. So I sat down and I started, I didn't write an outline. I jumped right into the screenplay and I wrote 60 pages. And that film was Trains, Planes, and Automobiles. So <laughs> the first 60 pages, which are very much like, this movie kind of has a, a plot arc of getting home as well as a emotional arc of Steve Martin uh, loosening up. Mm -hmm. But not much of that is happening in the first 
act and and it's just a lot of things going wrong and he wrote that all like in one passionate night of typing away <laughs> god bless him i wish i had that isn't it cool that you then you he was like he could just do that and then get that movie made because this is the brat pack guy this is his first he had done breakfast club 16 candles ferris bueller and this is his first like adult movie but he had the studio trusting in him so much he could do whatever the hell he wanted mm-hmm. but um so the production the whole thing with this movie is this they shot for 84 days Ooh. and at 84 days is like how much you would shoot for you know jurassic world or something and they made the first cut of the movie was you always hear hey first cut was so long this was three hours and 45 minutes jesus (laughs) so in cutting that down yeah this is like it's very oddly paced the way they're linking stuff together and they were showing the movie to focus groups and they'd be like Oh, we don't like Steve Martin. So then they'd have to go back and find a scene that made Steve Martin a little bit more redeemable. But then they would have to make that scene make sense again. And it was like this whole chop jab. Yikes. Crazy. Well, they did a pretty good job. Well, there's one thing. The first 20 times I saw this movie, there was one thing that always ate away at me. And I was was reading about this this morning and it confirmed – uh, there was another cut that I was noticing something was wrong and I want to see if you guys there's one main thing that I thought was the weirdest thing about this movie was there something uh, that jumped out to you as another thing that must have been cut and there's some plot line that was being glossed over was it something with the wife because yes. at the end when he shows up and the wife like they hug each other and have this moment of like oh you made it back like it didn't ever seem like he wasn't Gonna, like she thought he was dead or something. You're talking about Steve Martin's wife. Yeah. Steve Martin's wife in Chicago is so weird in this movie. It's a it's a lighthearted movie. And you could imagine a wife being disappointed that her husband isn't there or whatever. But she has like such a heavy performance and she has such sad eyes. And the music is like so, at the so end for, for sure. Right. Yeah, when she walks down the stairs, she like the way that she looks at him. This is a lady who hasn't seen her husband in what three days. It <laughs> feels like, and they've talked to each other. It feels like she wasn't expecting him to come home. Like she thought he was maybe pulling something, and it was that like she was that he was cheating on her or something. Yes. So this was my my theory for years was I think that there must have been a thing where he's having an affair and she's sad about it because she's just too sad. So I went looking for specifically that on the internet, search and search, and I did confirm there's, I don't know if if he actually does ever cheat on her, but there is a whole thing where she early on accuses him of cheating and thinks that the reason for his delay is that he's off with another woman. Ah. And she doesn't believe that Del Griffin exists. Ah. And uh, she's skeptical. That's why there's that one scene when she's in bed and she's like, Neil, what's going on? Right. And he's like, honey, nothing. Yeah. And, and, and it's it's because she's like, you, who, who are you with? Are you with a woman? That would also make more sense with why he's talking about his wife so much with Dell. Like when they're, we're ha- they're having the little um, bottles of uh, liquor. And he's like, I love her. I love her. And, you know, you got at least you got a good woman. Yeah. It's like he's kind of giving that advice to himself. It also makes more sense at the end when he was like, honey. This is Del Griffith. Yeah. <laughs> Credits roll. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. That music is so weird. But I don't know. That scene when they're drinking the schnapps bottles and stuff, I think that when we're hanging out, sometimes you guys will be like, 
yeah, we, we're having a good night, and then I'll go, yeah, but at least I got a great wife. <laughs> <laughs> Just about yourself, unprompted? Yeah, yeah and oh, by the way. <laughs> well, that's a fun set piece, though. When they, they're in the hotel, they decide to make the most of it, so they're drinking all the different little liquor bottles, and it's like, hey, do you want to go to Mexico? I'm going to go to Jamaica. Uh, that's a funny thing. Yeah, and John Candy's being funny when he's drunk. Uh, yeah. But He's yeah, doing that Jamaican accent that you would not do in a movie these days. <laughs> I like that part of the movie when they start getting along. It's fun when Steve Martin helps him with the trunk for the first time. That's fun, mm-hmm. and um, it does have. You can see how like Tommy Boy got a lot of stuff from them driving like oh, the yeah. fucked up car, yeah. and like the big big guy small guy dynamic. The mm-hmm. visual of the car with the guys in it is like exactly. I thought Tommy. it was funny when they were joking about how the car was burned up and there was a fire in the back seat. And John Candy said that there was going to be griddle marks on his ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, that thing about uh, grill marks on my ass reminded me the the line in this movie that always makes me laugh out loud is when John Candy's they're talking about getting another flight or getting a rental car or something that, <laughs> yeah. that they can't do. And he goes, "We'd have a better chance playing pickup sticks with our butt cheeks." <laughs> <laughs> hey, what was going on when he when they get on the um, the uh, expressway again? Going the wrong way. Yeah. Wouldn't you know that since a car is next to you, that you'd, you're going the Like, why, I don't understand how they think they're... Is, in that car, is that car on the other side of the median? Right. Yeah. Because they're going the correct way. So if you're... I'm just trying to think. If you're driving the car and you're looking out this way and you're... Yeah, you shouldn't be seeing a car on the other side of the median going the same way as you. Right. And then, and then Steve Martin, he like pokes his head out to like look at the... Look at the ground, and he's able to kind of confirm right before they hit the trucks that they're exactly. Going That's the wrong what way. I didn't. What was Steve Martin looking at that made him say? Because there was no shoulder. Oh, because like on the right there's a shoulder, and on the left side, if you're driving correctly, there's no shoulder because you wouldn't pull over in the fast lane. Oh, that's not a necessary realization for him to have. They could just look forward and see the truck coming in screen. That's right. That's what confused me about it. What what made him? Because th- I was like, I rewound it. Re- sorry, rewound it, and I was like, what is that? Am I, what am I supposed to see here? I did like though when they do hit the when they do go through the trucks, they turn into like skeletons for a second. Yeah, like they finally do do some like big weird world type comedy choices. And then his, his uh, Steve Martin's fingers are like lodged uh, in the dashboard. It. Yeah. It's funny how long they hold off on doing that cartoony stuff because there's also there's like a subliminal flash of John Candy dressed like the devil yeah. in the car. And then there's just I always laugh at just the the cartooniness of those people in the other car are like you're going the wrong way. Yeah. And, um, or when they I love right after that, uh, he's like, how does John Candy's like, oh, he's drunk. <laughs> <laughs> that whole scene is funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The way that they react to it. And then, um, also after they crash and the car burns up, Steve thinks John Candy stole the credit card. And he's like, you stole it. He stole it. Like, <laughs> yeah. who's, 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 who's he talking to? The audience? <laughs> And then also so cruel how he like just punches him really hard in the stomach. That's like yeah. outside the tone of the movie to just like punch him. Right. Um, you know, it's a cartoony shot that makes me laugh is when they're on the bus. And uh, I think it's maybe when Steve Martin tries to get everybody to sing a song that no one knows. But then there's a shot of like everyone on the bus turns and looks at him and they all like lean in in this very choreographed like. Huh? Yeah. It's like these little moments that are just like storyboarded. <laughs> Let's talk about the uh, score. 
Because that's a thing that I think is very funny. It's they've got a few themes that keep returning. And one of them is so funny. Yeah, I think I know what you're going to say. When things are down in the dumps, there's that harmonica song that's like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought you were going to say there's a song that comes back a couple times that samples Steve Martin's line. You're messing with the wrong guy. You're messing with the wrong guy. It's like a hip hop beat. Yeah, it's like this dancey hip hop thing where, oh, like he says it at one point after he gets dropped off at a rental car that isn't there. He's like, you're messing with the wrong guy. But then 10 minutes later, he's mad and there's like a dancey hip hop beat and you hear you're messing with the wrong guy. And it comes back in the credits and there's (laughs) tons of samples from the movie. The best one is just Del Griffith. Del Griffith. (laughs) (laughs) Is it him? His voice just saying his name? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Dull Griffith. I'm going to see if I can find it. It's weird that they, I mean, I don't really know how movie scoring usually is because I'm not paying too much attention to the, to the songs. But in this movie, every song is like reused. Like the wife has a sad theme and then there's like sort of a sentimental theme that comes in serious moments. Mm-hmm. But then there's also like two different times they get in a car to leave and there's this kind of like midi synth song that's like doot, doot, doot. Do, 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 yeah, do, do, it's do, it's do. so out of place too. Yeah, it's it's like way more modern than the other stuff in a weird way. It's very weird. <laughs> I think that they only have like four songs, and they just keep using them over and over again. I've been watching Succession, and I, that strikes me as weird. That sometimes in Succession, something will be happening, and then the Succession theme comes in, mm-hmm. and, and that's such a weird thing that it's like. There's never, like, you never see Tony Soprano angry, and then it's like, woke up this morning. <laughs> it's so weird to just hear the theme song during it thing. But in this one, this is one of the few movies where I, like, clocked all the songs immediately, and then I keep hearing them coming back. All right, I found the ending credit song that samples lines from the movie. Here we go. Ooh, play it. <laughs> yeah, baby. Baseline being played on a little... What a bizarre choice. I can take anything. I don't remember that I can take anything. <laughs> no. I think he's like, what? because I met Del Griffith, people will say, Oh. I never did introduce myself. Del Griffith. Del Griffith. Del Griffith. <laughs> Del Griffith. I can take anything. There you have it, folks. That was 87, so this is maybe, like, cool to be doing, like, sampling. or uh, This is the place for it on the, the score of a John Hughes yeah. comedy. It's so weird to just have that, like, little dance conga beat going and then, like, one guitar note. Yeah. Like a weird trumpet. It's really uh, cut and paste. All just played <laughs> on a Casio. But I do. I don't think this is the only movie that uses samples in that way because I do remember it doesn't... Um, at the end of On the Waterfront, isn't there a song that's like, could have been, could have been, could have been a contender. <laughs> could have been, could have been, could have been. I think you might be right. Contender, tend. Could have been, could have been an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one scene we should talk about is the fuck scene. What? Which? So this movie is rated R and it feels like a PG movie. And then... He gets to a, a rental car place, and he swears at the um, the oh at the yes princi- the principal's assistant from Ferris Bueller. So in that one scene, couple Ferris Ferris Bueller's dad is in this too. Yeah, uh, at the very beginning when he's uh, in the press conference. 
So is Ben Stein. A lot yes. of uh, a lot of John Hughes players. But uh, I guess the it's a PG movie, except they say fuck like over twenty times in that one scene. What? A funny thing to just use it all up in that one scene and then have to the idea of only adults going to see this movie just so that that one scene can it be can be funny. A studio would never do that now, no would way. never limit the audience of a movie like this just so that you could be like, I want a fucking car. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was I, I really like that little speech. I thought it was very funny. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, what's funny is it lands kind of the same place in the movie where when John Hughes also wrote National Lampoon's Vacation, mm-hmm. and there's that scene where Chevy Chase cracks and he's like, we're going to have so much fucking fun. We're going to have fucking fun and we're going to be sw- singing zippity doo out of our assholes. And it's like this big profanity tirade that is used very much kind of in the same like breaking point of the character. Yeah. Hey, hey he's got a formula and it works. And... John Hughes, I don't think he directed Christmas Vacation, but I do think he wrote the script, perhaps. And when you think of Christmas Vacation, Chevy Chase is like, I hope I get a big Christmas bonus so that I can buy a swimming pool. And his boss is Brian Doyle Murray, who's like very similar to this boss in Mm -hmm. this. There's like Hughes just kept writing these like salesmen that worked for these mean Chicago bosses. (laughs) This boss seemed more of a dolt, though. Like, uh, I thought that was really funny. Especially there's a post-credits thing. Did you guys watch that? Oh, yeah. No. It's, it's just the uh, the boss. He's still in the, in the meeting room, and he's got his turkey dinner in front of him. Uh, but he's by himself, and he's looking at the three uh, layouts again. And he's like, yeah, is this it? I don't know. It's one of those post-credit scenes that really like blew the thing wide open for me. Yeah, because I'm like, okay, so there is going to be a sequel. Now, where where did the boss eat his turkey? Did he eat it at home? <laughs> I saw on Wikipedia that uh, there's apparently a Will Smith and Kevin Hart uh, version in the no world. No shit. <sighs> no. Hey, stop it. Yeah, uh, that'll be good. <laughs> um, okay, so then in the home stretch of the movie, uh, I don't know any inside scoops on, on this or anything like that. But the, the weirdest fucking thing about uh, this movie, other than the sad wife, what did you guys think of the shocker ending? I saw it coming a little bit, but it still worked. You thought that maybe John Candy didn't have a wife? Yes. Wow. I had heard somebody, I knew about it. I heard somebody talk about it before. Um, I will say, though, that when Steve Martin is putting it all together, his memories don't really give him... Right. Any anything to go on there. He's just like, yeah, he mentioned his wife. He must she must be dead. Because what tipped me off was when Candy was in in the car, sitting in the car alone in the snow. Oh, yeah. You know, one of their various one of their various little breakups. Steve Martin has a hotel room. John Candy's sleeping in the snowy car. And he is sort of talking to himself like, well, you've done it again. Mm. And I was like, oh, his wife left him or she's dead or something. Right. And Steve Martin didn't hear any of that. But that was the thing that tipped me off. Yeah. Steve Martin, they probably wish they could put that in the the flashback sequence, but they can't. So the one, all the, Steve Martin is just sitting on a train and then he just like, we had, I had some good times this week and he starts I mean, it's the worst thing to do in a movie is to just have to show audience clips like that for no reason and it's not motivated. But like, I, it always drives me crazy that maybe the most tippy thing that he sees in that flashback is Dell says, I haven't been home in years. But right. that's a pretty big jump to say from I haven't been home to years to 
I bet he's still back at that train station because I bet his wife's dead. Yeah. It's it's a lot. It's just funny for a movie like this to think they need to have a usual suspects reveal. I know. I will say by the end of it, it was kind of working on me, the sentimentality. And uh, yeah, you got to bring the big lug with you. And the wife's crying because she's so happy that he, he's not fucking around on her. And the music <laughs> is pumping. I was like. She's like, oh, he's just been fucking Del Griffith the whole time. <laughs> And your oldest son is wearing shorts and high socks on Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, and I thought the house was the Home Alone house. It's not. It just looks a lot like the Home right, Alone right, house. Right, right, right. I wonder if it's, it's the same not? neighborhood. No. I'm shocked. The, I Home, think the Home Alone house, house is slightly is bigger. bigger. Yeah. The Home Alone house is not far from where Fran Gillespie grew up, so you must know sure. that. Well, sure. Wow. Friend of the pod. Well, any last thoughts on old plane strains? Why, why was he going to Chicago, Dell? Is he just cuckoo but if he's in new york he seems to be succeeding as a shirt and curtain ring salesman why does he need to rush to chicago if he doesn't have a home yeah that's a really good point what he he doesn't have a home he said he's probably taking improv classes or maybe he's (laughs) just going to his next uh like sales job or something perhaps for thanksgiving (laughs) folks that's planes trains and automobiles and now we've got a little bit of mail gobble gobble this is from Noah. Hey, sloppy boys. It's Noah writing in from Canada. My question is simple, but one I enjoy asking people who enjoy a lovely libation once in a while. Do you guys like the act of getting drunk best or hitting your desired threshold and getting to live in that space for a while? I know these sort of go hand in hand, but I'd be interested to know your guys' sloppy thoughts. Love the pod and I'm totally loving the Patreon. Thanks, guys. Ooh, a patron. I like this question. That is, it's very insightful. He's asking how much of a problem we have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't get the difference. What the threshold is before you get drunk? It's like, do you, do you want to hit a sweet spot and just sort of stay there or do you want to get blasted? Yeah, Mike, you like uh, to have two martinis and that's that. You don't want that third martini, right? I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. No, third. Right. I, I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, the threshold, baby. You want to be in sort of the uh, kind of we're all having fun moment, not... Hold on, I'm not even speaking correctly moment. Yeah, I don't like getting uh, tired or, I don't know, I, I'm mm. not I'm not like an angry drunk or anything, but I can get like tired and sort of like, I want to go home and cranky. <laughs> I've never seen you be like belligerent, but you can, I, I've seen you be just sort of like spaced out, like you're sitting up on a couch and your eyes are closed and you're just sort of like, hmm? Ew. You're like, wait, what? Wait, so the wife's dead? Huh. <laughs> So he's not drunk, he's just confused about that movie. Yeah. You want to hit the sweet spot and prolong the magic, baby. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, it's like edging. <laughs> Sorry, I'm an edge lord. Um, That's no problem. I yeah, I I I I like the feeling of uh, getting shithouse drunk, but it's not really acceptable. So I don't do it anymore, and then I don't want to deal with the uh, the next day. So I try to hit that threshold. But I learned a new word very recently in an ad I saw for like a like a chaser pill you take the next day or something like that. No, you take it the night in an Instagram ad. It was like, take these pills before you go to bed. Anyway, the t- have you heard this term hangxiety? Yes. No. Hang, uh, what do you take it to mean, Jay? I think it's um, the sort of mental aspects of a hangover where you're just sort of like jittery and uncomfortable and, and anxious during a hangover. Yeah, I I um I didn't know that this was like a uh there's a chemical 
reason for it that I didn't look into, but I just thought it was like, if you wake up on a Saturday morning after a, say this is back in the days where you used to get totally hammered, you wake up uh, after a big Friday night and it's Saturday. And you know, if you're like, Oh, what did I, did I say something? Did I embarrass myself in front of that person? Mm. Did I say something weird to that? And, and a lot, maybe sometimes you did, but that feeling, um, it's not just your, you're like, that's not just a personal thing of people being like, I think I maybe did something wrong or I, I'm having anxiety recounting the night. There's all, there's just like, it's like a thing of like a serotonin dump or something where it's like something chemically is happening in your brain where you do feel anxiety. We're expressing it by worrying if we yeah insulted someone or let a secret out of the bag or whatever but you just naturally do have like anxiety because because of a chemical imbalance in your brain i've, I've noticed it more with age too like in college i didn't probably experience this but once you hit 30 hangovers all aspects of hangovers are suddenly <laughs> brutal <laughs> yeah but it is funny to also just realize that you shouldn't like when you're young, you get drunk and it's like, hey, great, that guy's drunk. That's what you're supposed to do. And I think that I thought that that's what party, like if I started working job, if I'm at, like working on a TV show and there's a rap party in my 20s, I was like, well, it's open bar. I'm going to drink until I can't drink <laughs> anymore. And then it took me a few times to realize that like, hey, adults at industry events, don't, don't do that. I think that's also financial too. Like if you're in my 20s when I wasn't making uh uh, much money. It was like, hey, free drinks. This is gonna. This could be a whole week worth right here. But now, where I have jobs and things, it's like, eh, you know, I can. I don't go nuts with free stuff. Every time in my twenties, every time I went to a wedding, I was like, open oh, yeah. bar. I'll just say <laughs> yes to everything that's handed. <laughs> Those <to me>. idiots. <laughs> they fucked up. If you've got a question for the boys, email us at the sloppy boys podcast at gmail dot com. Anything else, guys? I have something to say about John Candy that I, uh, I'm surprised I haven't brought up yet. He was born, John Candy was born on Halloween. <gasps> oh. That's the biggest candy day of them all. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's weird because he's devilishly funny. <laughs> no, he well, he is, but Candy, John Candy, Halloween, come on, there's something there. Is that it? That's his real name, right? John Candy? Yeah. John Sweet Treat. Let me tell you this. Don't read too much about John Candy because I read his biography and it made me real sad. Sad guy. Oh. Insecure guy. Sure. Insecure about his weight. Sure, I bet. Uh, um, resentful towards other comedians in his circle who had more success than him. Sweet guy, good guy, a family guy, but not the family guy. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> um. Though, um, Mike, you might know this guy. Do you remember the owner of the L.A. Kings when they got Wayne Gretzky in the 80s? There, it was like this cigar. I, can picture, I can't think of his name. There's like a businessman who was like a cigar chomping kind of. Bruce. Bruce um, yeah. Bruce. Valanche? Springsteen. Springsteen. I'm going to look this up right now because it's on the tip Bruce of my little Valanche. tongue. Well, while you look that up. So when uh, Candy was like uh, hanging out in L.A., he started hanging out with that guy, going to Kings games and stuff. And then he kind of started like idolizing that guy, dressing like him, wanting to be more like him, like going to the forum and hanging out at the forum club and stuff like that. And then eventually he bought the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, Canadian football team because right. he he wanted 
he felt like he wasn't he was a silly comedy guy but he kind of wanted to be respected as a gregarious businessman with a lot of money and he had a lot of insecurity about that bruce mcnall mcnall the guy who got the great one (laughs) the great one getter guy well folks that's planes trains and automobiles i loved it (laughs) (laughs) i loved us talking about it i meant to say I do. I I I I, uh, I like the movie a lot. I, it's, I just really like that John Candy, and I just like Steve Martin so much. Even when he's not being funny, I like him. It's fun to see. Like, oh, this is how people traveled. This is like a, a what a plane, a, an airport was like, or business in the eighties is whatever. Got some yeah. nostalgic ness to it. Also, hey, didn't even bring this up. Kevin Bacon. Oh yeah. Oh, no, yeah. no lines in the cold open. Hey, wouldn't you feel like such a big shot if you lived in Chicago and you flew to New York for a meeting and then you flew right back? You're like going to get back on the plane and go back to... I know. It's it's right nuts that uh, you see that the people who are um, uh, just have like a briefcase with them. It's like, wow, this person is just traveling for the day. Anytime I have ever flown anywhere for work, I'm like, well, I'll go to the hotel room for 19 hours and then yeah. I'll get down to business. Yeah. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving. Tomorrow's the big day. You probably watch some football. You're going to watch the parade. You're going to see Snoopy. You're going to get the bugles and the cheese and the pickles and the taters. Hey, if you do the pickle thing, tag us. Yeah. I had this whole, yeah. Or the cheese thing. Or the, oh, and the if cheese thing. you post thing. anything, tag us. Do both. Or if you do Raiko Chai Chi. Or if you go to the movies tomorrow and... Uh, <laughs> you know what? No matter what you do, tag us. <laughs> I've had this whole uh, episode here to think about... You know, I'm some some uh, culinary freak here. <laughs> yeah. Pickles and jalapenos and the Raiko chai. What the heck am I doing well, in there? I think it's that you're in the mood for food. Why can't I just make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on white bread and have a... That's it. <laughs> Simple stuff. All right, that's the show. We want to thank our Patreon subscribers. We love you guys, our Patrons. And... Uh, you're messing with the wrong guy! Happy Thanksgiving! Thanks, everybody. Gobble, gobble. Bye.